This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. This BFM Budget 2023 special is brought to you by Ma Singh. You're listening to Beyond the Ballot Box with me, Dashran Johan. Last Friday at Parliament, Prime Minister and Finance Minister Datu Sri Anwar Ibrahim unveiled the new Budget 2023. The budget built developing Malaysia Madani involved an allocation of 388.1 billion ringgit. The question is, is this budget inspiring and does it do enough to address the needs of the working class masses, especially the B40 community? Joining me on the show today to unpack this is Sivarajan Arumugam. He's the Secretary General of Party Socialist Malaysia. Welcome to the show, Siva. How are you? I'm good, Darshan. Thanks for having me. All right, um, Siva, after a 25-year struggle of the reformasi movement, Anwar Ibrahim is the Prime Minister of Malaysia. Um, expectations are really high. What are your overall thoughts on the budget? Well, I agree that uh, the expectations were very high and um, Anwar really had to deliver uh, something quite huge uh, to that expectation. But I don't think that he could have announced an all-comprehensive budget you know, that would have solved all of the uh, people's problems all right. at once. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that budget, if you look at it, he is trying to sort of make some small structural changes, some new ideas he's trying to put inside. Um, but I cannot say that it's a complete overhaul from the previous Barisan national budgets. So there are some elements of it, but it's more of a continuation of what was presented by the previous governments. That's what I can say at this moment. Right. Uh, people want to know, Siva, is this budget better than the previous Budget 2023, which was tabled by the Ismail Sabri administration last year? I think Ismail Sabri's budget was mainly a pre-election budget. Hmm. So it really did not uh, portray any kind of serious reforms or tackling uh, issues, finance issues and so on. I mean, in that budget, basically, we saw a lot of giveaways. You know, we had right. um, subsidies on uh, electricity bills. We have the Bantuan Kluarga Malaysia, um, the exemption of some of the income tax, um, e-wallet credits, subsidies, and so on. So, but I think also the current budget by Anwar Ibrahim also did adopt some of the proposals. Like, for example, he did announce something of the Bantuan Rahma, which is, I would say, is an extension of the Bantuan Kluarga Malaysia. Right. For me, I would think that you can, we should differentiate budgets um, based on how much of structural changes they make to the traditional format or what has been presented uh, before. Uh, because sometimes when the budgets are done, it's just, you're just adding on when the, um, the each of the commentary and the ministries, when they work on a budget proposal, sometimes it just looks like, you know what they proposed last year, they just add on right. another 10% to it and just present it to the, the finance ministry. So in that way, I would say that maybe 80% of it, it is something like that. Only maybe 20%, he was trying to make some new, uh, new changes. But we will also argue that I think it is also important that on which premise he sort of starts this whole uh, budgeting exercise. Right. Now, we would say that, no, we should start from the premise that our country is actually a very rich country, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, we have uh, developed, our GDP has developed or gained more than 30 times if you compare to the 1970s. Right. But if you really compare that to the people's income, workers' wages, it does not reflect that. 
So when you start on that premise, I think you, you as a prime minister, you would have worked towards more the distribution of wealth uh, instead of just adding on to whatever that's already been given before. So it all depends on what is running in his mind, what's, what's his vision and how he wants to do it. So that's what I can sum right. up to. He wants to make some changes, but I would not say that this is a, a wholesome change uh, right. in this budget. Right. So what I'm getting from you is that um, it's it's pretty much in, from an overall structure, it's pretty much the same type of budget we've been getting over the years. But there are some positive yeah. steps um, um, you know, at, you know, in the right mm-hmm. direction, seems to be pointing the country at least towards the right direction. So what are some of the mm-hmm. key positives, um, Siva, that you'd like to highlight before we talk about how it can be improved and so on and so forth? What are some of the key positives from the budget that you'd like to highlight? Yeah, well, I can say that, of course, he's trying to put in uh, a new tax on luxury goods. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we need to see how it is being implemented. Uh, what is also positive as I think that he's trying to put in place a government procurement act. Uh, we have yet to see the contents of this particular act. Basically, this is to cut down on overspending, um, the leakages, uh, the corruption. Uh, so probably this is something which is uh, long overdue and it's good that he has introduced this thing. The Whistleblowers Act is also very necessary. Both mm. will have to go uh, will have to go hand in hand uh, to protect whoever's revealing these informations. Uh, capital gains tax, yes, this is another thing which has been long overdue, and but it's only mentioned that it will uh, kick off uh, next year, two thousand twenty-four. Right. Uh, this is something right. that we have to see, um, and of course, I think what everyone is talking about is the uh, personal income tax reduction. Eh? Right. I think everyone right. is very excited about that. And uh, so what I can see is that uh, there are some good key points, but we have to see uh, whether how much of revenue that can really increase for the government. Because if we really look to uh, revamping the whole tax system, then that's another whole big exercise. You have to look at how much of tax incentives uh, the Ministry of International Trade is giving to foreign investors, how much we are losing it on that, how much of tax holidays, you know. And recently, I was very surprised that uh, um, the minister, uh, science minister, mm-hmm. uh, YB Chang Li Kang, he says that Linus has not been paying any taxes. <laughs> you know, All that right. was very surprising. Right. So, right. I mean, there's a lot of ways that government should can recoup back a lot of revenue. Um, if you really look at the whole tax system across all ministries. So I would say that this is a way forward, uh, what he has introduced last Friday, but there's a lot more to be done. So let's talk about the taxation, um, the restructuring first. Um, What are your thoughts on the restructuring of taxes in which those earning below um, 100,000 ringgit of taxable income will be getting a 2% reduction? Um, I think you you, you alluded to it earlier, like people are very happy about that, celebrating and whatnot. And then uh, on the the other side, those earning in between 100,000 ringgit and 1 million ringgit will see an increase in taxes from 0.5% to 2%. Um, what are your thoughts on this? I think it is something which is positive, especially mm-hmm. for the uh, the middle income uh, wage earners. So those who I think who are earning like four thousand, five thousand per month. Um, so probably uh, those will see uh, a reduction in taxes, and there is an increase in tax, a gradual increase in tax for those who are earning more than uh, twenty thousand, uh, roughly, yeah, twenty thousand mm-hmm. chargeable income uh, per month. But I would say that maybe they should have started off in a bigger percentage for those, the T20, uh, those who are earning more than 20,000, 
we would say that maybe they could have started off uh, something from two percent. Uh, right. Yeah, but anyway, what they have introduced is something which is ranging from zero point five five percent, one percent, and so on. And um, I don't know why they stopped at those who are earning uh, at one million, <laughs> right. one million ringgit per year. Okay, actually, what we were also suggesting um, even uh, uh, quite long ago was the government should really introduce the wealth tax, uh, which is very crucial. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, we started off with the billionaires. Actually, we have more than fifty old people who are, who are billionaires. A lot of them also make it to the Forbes uh, international financial list. Right. Uh, so we should start a wealth tax, progressively um, taxing them from two percent and up. So that would also increase a lot of government revenue. So I can say that yes, it is a good reduction, but maybe he could have done better and uh, increase a bit more taxes, starting from two percent, for those who are really the T twenty themselves. But it is something an indication in the right direction. But on top of this, like I said, uh, they should seriously look into uh, a specific wealth tax uh, uh, for the billionaires. Even the windfall tax, I think that was only a one-fall, uh, the one-off time they did right. the windfall tax. So they should introduce these things again, and this will actually increase, especially when the government is saying that it is um, really its hands are quite tight in terms of spending. You know, so the government should seriously look at these new taxes to be introduced. Pivoting to the health side of things, right? The health ministry um, has received the second largest allocation of um, 36.3 billion ringgit. Um, and this is up from 32.4 billion ringgit, which was tabled last year. Is it sufficient to address the looming health care crisis in this country? Because every day we have contract doctors talking about um, how they're not getting hired. We have um, new stories coming out about um, staff of shortages, um, you know, and, and people waiting in line for hours and hours, um, you know, only to not be able to receive um, the treatment and, and so on and so forth. We're talking about overcrowded um, and understaffed uh, healthcare system. Um, does this budget address those issues? I think certainly not. Um, I would think that it was a bit of a disappointment that they made only about four billion increase in the health budget eh? from previously thirty-two billion to thirty-six billion. Now, we were actually looking for something big. Uh, for PSM, we were actually pushing for there should be an increase of at least six billion uh, per year uh, for the next five years. Right. This is because I think during the, that whole fiasco that we saw, so many shortcomings were revealed in the public health care. I know in terms of uh, beds, in terms of uh, the congestion in the emergency departments and staffing expenses, the issue of contract doctors, uh, not even having enough budget in JPA. So there's a lot of issues were revealed and uh, this should have really triggered the Ministry of Finance to allocate a huge amount. So that's why that we would think we need a great push uh, for the health ministry. So that's why that we suggested that there should be a six billion increase for every year for the next five years. So you can really boost up in terms of facilities, building up new hospitals, upgrading the the district clinics and so on. But what we saw is um, quite a minimal increase. And this is way, it falls way short from what most groups are expecting in terms of uh, the international standards whereby we need to have at least uh, 4% of the GDP. Um, so here's where I think that this is not enough. 
um, hopefully the debates in parliament will push for a higher budget and um, and also needs to be seen on how uh, these things need to be spent because besides the bigger allocation in budget that is also an issue of how it is being spent right now we have been always working with the hospital workers uh, the support workers uh, they are the janitors they are the people who are working as security and so on and we find that these workers are working under a private contract even though they work in the government hospital premises hmm. and we through our studies we also found that this is also a wasteful exercise whereby while these workers are working in the government premises the government is basically paying wages to them through a private contractor now why do they do so when they could save money by paying and employing these workers directly so there's a lot of such instances whereby through this whole privatization program the uh, the the issue of outsourcing the issue of subcontracting and so on the government has really wasted a lot of money so that is another issue i think the health ministry should seriously look at they should absorb all of these workers benefiting them at the same time the government can save a lot of money instead of paying and getting the services through another private contractor so i think there's many ways uh, we should uh, revamp the whole system and certainly yes the budget is, is it is not enough what are some of the initiatives you think um from the budget uh, do you think will help empower the working class people especially the poorest people in the nation i think for workers um what we were really expecting was um the issue where the uh, the workers who are working in the schools uh, the government schools and even uh, those who are working as security in the schools mm-hmm. they were not paid minimum wages now it was really a very uh, a sad thing it was something that we could not really understand why uh, a government policy a government minimum wage rule was not adhered to by contractors the, their own government contractors themselves now when we dig into this issue we find that the ministry of finance has not upgraded the contracts of these contractors to allow them to pay minimum wages for these workers now this was something that we really could not uh, accept and we really could not understand why it happened such so that is why that i think since last year we highlighted so many cases to the ministry of finance to the prime minister himself to say that you must immediately address this issue but unfortunately we did not see anything come out of this budget so we are really concerned whether has the ministry of finance dispersed enough funds to all of its contractors to ensure that they pay their workers the workers who are working in the schools the hospitals the security people you know minimum wages i mean this is this is a law in this country and how come the workers who are working in the government premises themselves are not getting minimum wages right so it is something that it, we we need to be really ashamed of but i did not really see uh, any announcement in this maybe they have rectified it we have yet to see it because we still get complaints uh, from the ground that uh, the workers who are working in the government premises themselves the contractors who employed them have not paid um, the minimum wage mm-hmm. some of them have delayed paying even though this was already in effect last uh, may last year may right but we find that the contractors uh, never bothered to pay and they just paid only when they received some funding from the ministry of finance so what happened to the back wages no one is talking about it so there's a lot of issues the second thing is what we were also uh, proposing for and we looked forward in this particular budget is that uh, we were hoping for a pension scheme for the elderly right because just before 
uh, the budget and even during the COVID times, there was a lot of uh, reports to say that how, uh, uh, in what deplore, uh, deplorable situations our elderly citizens are because they don't have any savings left uh, after the retirement in the EPF, mm. the KWSP, because they've done so much of withdrawals and the government has allowed it, you know. So uh, many of them really cannot really survive. Some of them only have 10,000 ringgit, 20,000 ringgit, and it was a very deplorable situation. So that is why that we propose for uh, people who are above 65 years of age and who are not ex-government servants, uh, who are not getting any other pensions, to be given a monthly pension of 500 ringgit directly from the government. Right. So we would think that roughly um, those above 65 years uh, above age, roughly there, there are about 1.8 million people and it would cost the government roughly about 12 billion a year. But this, even though it's a big amount, but it will really help this particular group, especially the B40, who have or no choice, but they have to return to work as security guards and so on. So the government, we were really expecting, looking at the situation from the EPF itself, uh, the government would have addressed that particular issue by issuing or introducing a pension scheme for those who don't have any other income support. Right. The other thing we were also, yeah, the other thing we also were expecting is that the for the working poor, the urban poor, mm -hmm. is that uh, I mean, in anywhere that we go in uh, in KL or in Klang Valley, we will find that. Uh, the low-cost flats where most of our urban poor stay, uh, they are in a very deplorable condition uh, because of the maintenance not done properly. They are unable to collect uh, their maintenance dues. Um, people don't have money. They are they are they are cash, they are cash tight, and so we find that there's a complete uh, collapse of the whole maintenance system in most of these uh, high-rise, low-cost flats. So that is why that we have been proposing for a very long time that most of these low-cost flats should be taken over by the local council to maintain right. them. So at least people are, uh, are guaranteed a certain decent amount of maintenance, it's clean and they can live in a, in a comfortable manner. But again, we don't see anything on this. The government has just uh, reintroduced or re, uh, reiterated what it had before, which they call the Tabung Penyelenggaraan uh, Perumahan. Um, which with, with an allocation of about 44 million. Now, this was a scheme which was there all this before, but every time when certain JMBs or certain uh, uh, residence committees from these low-cost fairs apply, uh, usually they'll say that the funds are, are finished, you know, they don't have right. enough funds to, to disperse. So that is why you say that it cannot be in such a way that, you know, when people have to apply and then they get and then the funds are finished, we should have a, a policy, we should have a a program whereby the local councils themselves take over these flats and maintain them to a minimum standard. So this is another thing that we did not see. The third one I could say is that we also talked about in PSM about the government should introduce a SOXO contribution. Mm -hmm. So for women uh, uh, from the age of 19 to 60, so that they will be able to get some kind of disability pensions during their old age. Um, so this is very important. Besides what uh, the earlier program of asking contributions for women in EPF, but I think SOXO contributions are also important for women, uh, those who do not get any other contributions. So we're asking that the government pays for their contribution at least, and it only comes to board if you really work on a minimum wage kind of uh, uh, 
a figure, right. it only would work out about 15 ringgit every month. And that's a very small amount. And if they could sort of subsidize for these women, at least in their elderly age, they would be able to get some kind of a disability pension, pension ILAD and so on. So right. I think these are some of the proposals that we would, we would like to have seen uh, in this particular budget. And we would, we would need to continuously sort of campaign and work around uh, these issues. On the show with me today is Sivarajan Arumugam, SecGen of Party Socialist Malaysia. After the break, we continue our discussion on Budget 2023. Keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Stay tuned to BFM's Budget 2023 special, brought to you by Marsing. This BFM Budget 2023 special is brought to you by Marsing. Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dashan Johan and on the show with me today is Sivarajan Arumugam. He's the Secretary General of Party Socialist Malaysia and we're talking about Budget 2023. So, Seva, I want to circle back to something you mentioned earlier about how, especially during the pandemic, um, the EPF situation for, for many people in this country is it's, it's in a very terrible state. People have withdrawn uh, all their money because of uh, Muhyiddin's initiatives during the um, pandemic where he allowed people to withdraw their, from their EPM savings. Many people's EPF accounts are empty. They do not have savings for their retirement. On top of that, this government is also constantly being pressured by forces in the opposition to allow um, EPF um, withdrawal once again. My question is, um, the government, instead of doing that, the government has um, come up with an EPF initiative to help those aged 40 to 54 years old with EPF savings of less than 10,000 ringgit in their account one by providing an additional contribution of 500 ringgit. Um, this is uh, estimated to benefit about nearly 2 million EPF members. Um, what are your thoughts on this particular initiative? Well, I think it's, it was very obvious that a 500 one-off contribution uh, to the EPF fund, to account one, uh, for those who have less than 10,000, it will make very minimal difference, actually, right. mm -hmm. 2,500 ringgit. Mm -hmm. If the government would have said that we're going to contribute 500 every month, that would have made a big change. <laughs> right. Unfortunately, um, so, I mean, those who have only 10,000, so now they have 10,500. I mean, I mean, that's about it. So, but I think it was a good move that the government did not uh, bend, uh, bow down to the pressures of uh, certain parties uh, demanding that more EPF withdrawals be given simply because I think the whole principle of uh, your old age savings itself is being challenged here. I mean, we have in other countries where people are defending the whole pension scheme and here we have people who want to, you know, completely destroy it All right and um in, in a place where we have uh, a situation where we will be a very aging society in maybe 10 years to come this is very very crucial i think people have been pushed to the corner to look at their savings because the incomes have not gone up cost of living has gone up um, there's a lot of other things in terms of uh, basic necessities housing uh, healthcare has gone up so people are pushed to look at their savings, you know, why I need this money now, not later. That that we should not use that uh, sentiment, that uh, that motivation is a wrong motivation to allow more withdrawals from EPF. Instead, the government should should understand this issue and look at the people are being pushed to a corner 
to withdraw our savings. So how should we should overcome this to make sure that we can create an environment, we can make more benefits for the racket, so they will not be pushed to the corner in such a in such a way. So I think it is very important that we should not look at EPF for for immediate to release the pressure to right. our financial pressures, but to keep it for long run. So 500 contribution, yes. Um, no one will deny, uh, no one will say, I don't want that 500 ringgit, but I think that would not really solve the problem. Uh, the government should really look at how it's going to increase um, the savings for, for elderly people. Now that would of course start off from the employment itself, you know, are we getting enough wages during employment? Mm. Now, why is that people uh, who have worked for such a, a long, for the whole lifetime, for 20 years, 30 years, and still we find a majority of them not having enough savings in their EPF. So it all reflects back to actually how much they were earning during the employment. So this thing needs to be settled holistically. Like, that's what I would say. There's another initiative that has a lot of people talking, um, and that is the Rama Cash Aid Initiative, which basically cash handouts up to um, 3,100 ringgit. So the government will basically pay up to 2,500 ringgit for households with a combined income of less than 2,500 ringgit. Do you think this will uh, alleviate the pressures um, faced by the working class, especially the hardcore poor in this country? And is it enough to to sort of um, help them, um, you know, weather this storm? Well, I think this one-off cash it is only an immediate. It's basically a firefighting uh, way, uh, mm. whereby it might help them in the in the short term, but in the long term, I think it will not really uh, assist them. That's why I think even during the COVID days, when the government was announcing. A lot of uh, Bantuan COVID, but most of them, they they were modeled after a one-off payment. Right. Now, one-off payment does not really go far. I mean, in terms of expenses, once you get a certain bit uh, amount, you are sort of um, uh, pressured or you are sort of more inclined to settle your debts, Right. you know, whatever that you are pending. So that would sort of like uh, uh, finish off very, very quickly. Within one month, you just settle off whatever debts you have, you know, you just finish off. So you, you, if you're given like 2,500, that's the first thing that you would do. But what we would sort of argue for is more of a monthly cash benefit. That would really uplift and you can see a change in their, in their lifestyle. Maybe they'll be lifted out of poverty and so on. So usually these one-off things, they are helpful for short term but they will certainly not help uh, most families um, in the long term, especially the B40. So that's why I think what is very important is that we should really look at how we can improve the, the Jabatan Kebajikan Masyarakat payment. Now, have we really reviewed the monthly payments, especially for the B40? Because sometimes we also get um, some cases whereby um, even though the poverty line income has been increased to 2,208, but uh, we don't really see that reflecting um, in the the means test done by Jabatan Kebajikan Masyarakat. Right. Not everyone below this poverty line is getting it. So is, is there a, a, a disconnect here? So I think the government should look at this because what is provided by the Jabatan Kebajikan Masyarakat is a more targeted uh, cash handout for those groups which they have identified having uh, financial issues. And they should look at increasing this particular amount instead of just looking at a one-off payment. So I would rather use this cash to more to benefit these targeted groups. And they should adjust it so that all those families uh, who are below this new poverty line, uh, the 2,200 poverty line, should be assisted. 
so I think that is uh, very important. The other thing I could also mention here is that um, I think we all know that poverty is a multidimensional issue. Right. So cash handouts, yes, it does help. But uh, there are other ways that government can assist the B40, the poor, in terms of social wages. When I say social wages, meaning that not really a cash, mm -hmm. but in how you sort of subsidize and help out people to for them to achieve their basic necessities. One right. issue is long-standing issues, of course, housing, you know. Uh, mm. How has the government really improved on making sure that everyone has got a roof above their head? Do we really have affordable subsidized housing? That's one big issue. And if you can sort of provide that, that would really take the burden off people. Do we have enough uh, affordable health care? Even though the government hospitals are there with very minimal payment, but when you go for subsequent treatment, when you go for uh, surgeries, you know, there's a lot of other payments that need to be made, co-payments need to be made. Education, public transport. So we would need to look at poverty in this wholesome thing. So we cannot say that, okay, government has introduced uh, Bantuan Rahma, so the hardcore poor are taken care of. No, I would not agree to that. You, you really need to look at all of these multidimensional issues and address it. The, only then you can see people being really uplifted uh, from from poverty. Um, Siva, I think earlier you hit the nail on the head. Um, you brought up a, a, a particular uh, issue, which I think most people would definitely agree with. And that is the idea of wages and how you said wages in this country is just very low across the board. And, and that's the, the largest structural issue that needs to be addressing. Did Budget 2023 meet your expectations in terms of addressing issues of unemployment and also underemployment? Uh, well, I think they really never touched on the issue of right. um, unemployment and also underemployment. Um, see, basically what we have seen in this budget is that um, there are only a lot of programs sort of to initiate or to increase supplementary income uh, for people who are working, but not really addressing the issue of uh, un underemployment mostly. Mm. See, even though, I mean, the figures uh, given by the statistic department, they show fairly manageable figures like 3.6% um, unemployment and so on. But I think um, we should not be distracted by these figures because if we really look at underemployment among youths, if you go by skills that they have and there's a mismatch on actually what work they're doing now, it could be as high as 36% uh, underemployment. But there's no really clear-cut program on how they're going to address uh, this particular issue. But that's also the issue that while the government has not really put up a clear program, but on the other hand, uh, things are being made worse when they bring in more foreign workers. I mean, we recently uh, heard about an announcement that how they're going to ease the conditions for hiring foreign workers right. in five critical industries, mainly manufacturing, construction, plantation, uh, food and beverage, and so on. So as you know that once you get a huge influx of foreign labor coming in, yeah, it is going to suppress wages uh, for local workers. And at the same time, while these normal 3D jobs and menial jobs are taken up by foreign workers, but at the same time, our locals, they're not really moving up the employment ladder to better quality jobs because no such jobs are really available. Right. And I would argue that, you know, these things are really made worse by this kind of international trade agreements. I think we, we talked about the comprehensive uh, Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, which the yes. government has signed and they have ratified. 
and we really asking the government to you know to pull out of this agreement simply because this is an agreement which is going to make things worse for our working people because the, in this agreement whereby the investors are so well protected the government cannot really uh, ask them to do any kind of technological transfer teach our workers new technology uh, or put up any kind of investment requirements so what is going to happen here is that we are again going to get stuck in this whole global production chain mm-hmm. whereby we are just going to be somewhere in the whole production chain where whereby we are doing uh, low wage low quality work that's what we're going to do so while the government might boast about okay we have secured such huge investments from such country and so many billions from this country and so on every time they go on these foreign visits but actually what are those jobs we are getting it's just going to be somewhere below in the whole uh, global production chain and how is going how how are we going to move up to be a high income nation in mm-hmm. in such a case so actually that's why we say that we are basically stuck in this middle income trap uh, because the lower jobs are being taken up by foreign workers and there's really not enough jobs uh, quality jobs uh, which really match our graduates qualification and so on absolutely so that's why that we are very vehemently against this such agreements which will just going to make things worse and you really cannot dictate you can really cannot request any kind of investment requirement uh, requirements from the investors themselves so this things really needs to be addressed it's very seriously because i don't see anything in this particular budget uh, how the government is going to address in the the whole wage issue and uh, even the basic issues was not being addressed like i said earlier the basic re- uh, enforcement of minimum wages themselves that still remains a uh, contentious issues so there's lot to be done in terms of uh, uplifting and bringing up the wages for working people um i also want to ask you about the landscape um you know for small and micro businesses um you know many would argue that one of the important forces when it comes to malaysian economy is small and micro businesses um do you think the budget 2023 does enough to empower small and micro businesses there are a lot of announcements actually but i would say that um, it is it is all over the place i mean there's so many schemes i right. was really confused when i saw there's so many schemes just reading through some of the you have some uh, uh, benefits and the loans given out by takon bank nagara is giving out some loans you have so many bodies like teraju ya mara agrobank bank rakyat midf and so what i would say is that uh, even those people who are going to apply for these things it's uh, is very confusing the assistance is all over the place and there's too many schemes I would say that the government should really uh, restructure this streamline all of these funds they should consolidate and re- and disperse these funds I think that is very important because what I think you see in this budget is that uh, it's just a top up of uh, giving away uh, funds and uh, loans through the organizations which have already existed and you know that this organization most of them they were basically a structure whereby the previous governments just wanted to please their their people their political people you know? so there's so many organizations we have and more organizations and the subsidiaries and glcs that the government creates is just an avenue for their own people their own cronies to go and sit there as board of directors and so that's why that we have so many organizations uh, supposedly to help uh, the rakyat and so on so what we find in this particular budget is still using the same 
structure the same avenues to disperse uh, assistance for small businesses. So we really have to look at, is this really effective or not? We really have to ask that question. And I hope uh, the government really looks at this seriously and restructures it and consolidates all the funds and disperse them more targeted. I think that's very important. The second thing I would say is that it's not a matter of just providing loans and to say that, okay, we have so much of money, you just go and do whatever you want, you're an entrepreneur and so on. I think it's very important that uh, the government should guide uh, investment. What types of investment, what types of entrepreneurship is right for the people and in, in that would also benefit uh, the people at large. I think that is important so that we can develop good programs. For example, we should uh, encourage more entrepreneurship in terms of how we can sort of restore uh, the environment, the, the, the situation in, in terms of maybe projects to do uh, cleaning of the rivers, uh, reforestation and so on. So there's been more focus on those kind of things. Uh, people going into solar panel, green technology. So there should be more uh, uh, disbursements in that area. And we should encourage people to pick up um, businesses or to start up, to have startups in that kind of area. There should be more uh, uh, avenues or more funds for people right. who want to do basically like social work, maybe, you know, mm -hmm. those who can go and reach out to the poor, help out the elderly, uh, elderly help out the, um, the children who are being uh, abused, you know. So if there's people who are keen in this kind of work, then the government should encourage. So these are the areas in terms of also helping the entrepreneur and also helping them increase their income in small businesses. They are also a social enterprise benefiting the racket at large. So I would say that I think it's very important that instead of just providing a wide range, a whole buffet of uh, various benefits, they should actually have targeted uh, benefits, uh, which will uh, sort of guide uh, some investment, some uh, entrepreneurship in certain key sectors, which would benefit the racket at large. Anwar has apparently spoken to um, billionaire Said Mokhtar and he and apparently has agreed that 30% of Bernas' um, profits will be given to paddy farmers, to rice farmers. What are your thoughts on this? You see, I think the establishment of Bernas itself, um, we should question it. Um, what was uh, Lembaga Padi Negara before and uh, fully a government entity? Of course, um, it has been privatized and before, and that itself should be reversed. We we would hold that position. Right. But now, what is what it looks like is that um, Anwar is not doing that, but basically asking him to give more benefits for the paddy farmers. Now, why should it be so? This uh, rice paddy is a national security item. It's our food. You know, how can it be put on private hands? Now, we are in a situation whereby uh, we are put in private hands and does not seem like we are willing to take it back. But in terms of benefit, these people who are slogging in the paddy fields, we are sort of asking, we are sort of begging him to give more. That should not be the scenario. The government has got the power to reverse, to bring back this important sector, which is to provide the provision of uh, rice as a staple food for Malaysians, back into the government's hands, back into our control. While, yes, uh, he has given some things, but that does not sort of solve the problem. We should reverse the whole idea of our, st our staple food being in the hands of a private sector. It should be returned to the government's fold under uh, Lembaga Padi Negara. Before Budget 2023 was announced, there was a lot of excitement. In the end, also a lot of 
caution. So excitement because Anwar is finally Prime Minister after struggling for 25 years. Um, we have a reformist, um, an openly reformist um, Prime Minister for the first time in, in Malaysian history. Wary because, um, you know, when people think of uh, Anwar of, of the past, of the 90s, he was, uh, you know, very pro-IMF. His approach towards the econ- economy was very neoliberal. So there was a lot of excitement, a lot of uh, wariness as well. Um, before we wrap this conversation up, um, would you have some final message or final thoughts on Budget 2023? Well, I would not say that Anwar is like fully reformed. He's no more neoliberal. I think he is, <laughs> he is still he's still keen on certain uh, international trade agreements which are dictated by big corporations. He still wants to please the business community and so on. But what I can see from his speeches and rhetoric, he's trying to address the main issue of uh, he's looking inward, I think, mm. uh, in terms of how the government is spending, going after corrupt politicians, uh, the issues about the financials which are uh, taken abroad, the Pandora Papers. So he's addressing those issues. Those issues are very important in mm-hmm. terms of how you want to get good governance. But at the same time, he is not addressing uh, the issues of the overpowers of how much businesses have had, the free play the businesses have had in our country. Uh, big corporations um, thus far, depriving the rights of uh, indigenous people, depriving the rights of workers, the normal village people and so on. So this balance needs to be tilted. And I don't think Anwar is, has showed anything to tilt uh, these particular balances. So we really need to look at what, what will Anwar be doing after this? Because I think if he still wants to pursue an economic model which is more tilted towards the businesses, pleasing them, uh, giving more incentives, making sure he does not uh, indicate uh, any anti-business sentiments. If he's going towards that, I think he's going to deprive the rights of the people uh, more and more because we live in a system whereby we've been uh, deprived of rights in many, many ways. You know, the lands are being lost, more um, land where people have lived on have been uh, uh, evicted, uh, taken for businesses. Environment is in a very serious condition now. Wages are being pushed for more and more down. Every time we find that the Employees Federation, you know, is trying to lobby and trying to take away the rights of the workers. So there is a, a clear a struggle between uh, those who are the big corporations and then the working people. So the question here lies is that on which side the government is going to be. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today. That was Sivarajan Arumugam. He's the Secretary General of Party Socialist Malaysia. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. This BFM Budget 2023 special was brought to you by Marseille. Reinvent spaces. Enhance life. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.